Because if you've got that passage still open before you, that passage of uh, the mighty announcement of great joy from the shepherds in Luke chapter 2. We're going to be considering that this morning with great thankfulness. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that your word is a living word and it reaches down and changes our hearts and causes us to turn to you and rejoice in the light you have shown us in your Son. We pray on this Christmas day, amid all the family and community rejoicing, that we would rejoice especially over this, that in Christ God is amongst us, Emmanuel, God with us, the Word made flesh. And we thank you for this greatest gift, in Jesus' name, Amen. Well, as you can see in your in your service sheet there, I've entitled today's sermon, The Heavenly Glory of an Ordinary Birth. The Heavenly Glory of an Ordinary Birth. Now you might say, well, there's nothing terribly ordinary in one sense about the birth of Jesus. But in terms of the actual birth itself, it was like any other birth. And that is why Mary is known as the mother of the Lord. It's astonishing to think, isn't it? Yes, there was the amazing, miraculous conception, the Holy Spirit moving in her womb, bringing to life within her the one who is the Son of God. That's miraculous. But then that baby gestated and grew and became fully grown in the womb. And then Mary went into labor. And the baby Jesus came forth into the world the same way that all of us came into the world. He's joined with us in that sense. He's taken our nature upon himself. And has shared in all that it is to be human. And that's a wonderful reality, isn't it? And we will not understand the sheer uh, awesome glory of this passage unless we keep that great reality before us. The birth of Jesus, a beautiful thing, but with the same labor and mess as all other births, but received with great love and tender care, and laid in that manger. What a glorious vision with that, the holy family around him, Joseph and Mary. And then as we see in this passage, others coming to praise and to worship, to proclaim the great news, the joyful news of this birth. And that's the whole point. What do we believe about Jesus, the Son of God. That he is God made flesh. The Word, the eternal Word, become man. And we need to realize the sheer manliness of him, as well as his heavenly glory. And the two must always go together. And we can see that in this story of the announcement made to the shepherds and then their proclamation 
of this great news. Because the shepherds, in a sense, show just how ordinary, in a sense, this birth was, humanly speaking. They're ordinary men, going about their ordinary business, their labour. It's good, honest work, tough work, looked down on by others, perhaps, but good and honest work, labouring in the fields, watching over their flocks, making sure they don't come to harm at night. And then in the midst of that, the angel of the Lord comes with this mighty announcement. Now sometimes we think, like maybe this is just a, a fault of mine, but sometimes we think of angels as sort of glorified Anglican boy choir members sort of cherubic in looks with beautiful robes and nice pure voices. But we must understand the sheer terror of the biblical vision of an angel. Here comes the angel with a dreadful and yet joyful announcement. And it's not just the angel, isn't it? The angel is surrounded by the glory of the Lord. It's striking there, not his glory. The angel came to the shepherds and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And when we look throughout the Bible, we can see that that is something mighty. Think about the pillar of fire that went before the people of Israel as they left Egypt to go to the promised land. Think about how the people did not even dare to touch the mountain at Sinai when God gave the law. Think about how the priests could not continue their sacred work when the presence of God came upon the temple and upon the tabernacle beforehand. The presence of the Lord, the glory of the Lord. When Isaiah saw the glory of the Lord, the prophet Isaiah, he felt undone. He thought he was at the end. He was completely dissolved before the glory of the Lord. This is a momentous encounter that these angels are coming to. And yet, wonder of wonders, this voice, the, the, the message is one of joy that drives out fear. Do not be afraid, they say to the shepherds, for I bring you good news of great joy. And what is the focus of this joy? Well, we see it there, don't we? In Luke chapter 2. Uh, this will be the sign to you in verse 12. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. Isn't that astonishing? You've got the same incredible, terrifying glory that we associate all the way through Scripture with the presence of God himself. And then where is it all focused on? A baby. A baby lying in a manger. In a sense, what we have here is like a vast heavenly projector, don't we? You know, you've got your little bit of film, you've got a little image, and you take it and you project it at large on a great screen. 
But the astonishing thing here is that this great majestic vision, the heavenly glory, and not just one angel, but whole choirs joining him in praising God, all of that heavenly glory is wanting you to focus back now on the point of it all. And it's a very small point, apparently. A baby in a manger. All of this is because of this baby. There would be no angelic chorus without that newborn baby in the stable in Bethlehem. As one theologian I read said, the glory of the Lord manifest in heaven is precisely because the sun now is on earth. There is no heavenly song without the sun on earth. So this ordinary birth has heavenly significance. (laughs) And isn't it striking that then what the shepherds do after that shows that too? Isn't it astonishing when you think about it? It's like this great act of translation or if you're a musician, I know we've got a number of musicians here, you know, you transpose something from one key to another. You translate from one language to another. You move from one form to another. And what do we have here? We have this incredible heavenly chorus which then ordinary shepherds hear And then what do those shepherds do? They go to see the sun. And when they see the sun, what do they then do? They they tell the word that they have heard. This heavenly word is now embodied in the lips and words of ordinary shepherds. Isn't that amazing? The shepherds become like an angelic host, if you like. And they say the same thing to Mary and Joseph and all that are there and everyone in Bethlehem. And they go forth from there and they start proclaiming it everywhere. Do you see how over and over again the Word of God wants you to see the sheer wonder of what we call the Incarnation? The Word becoming man. God becoming man. And in every angle and every aspect and every focus, they bring you back to that. Angelic hosts are joined by bands of shepherds in saying the same message. There is an earthly proclamation that answers to the heavenly chorus and all of it is focused on the wonder of this heavenly yet ordinary birth and that's a wonderful wonderful reality that we have here in a sense it's interesting isn't it really in one sense that there's the one greek word the same greek word can mean both angel and messenger and in that sense the shepherds are like angels aren't they messages of this great truth. But then we see it's not just the angels, is it? As well as the angels, 
And as well as the she- it's not just the shepherds either, with their work of proclamation, as they tell of these things with great joy, as we see there in verse 20, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. But then there's another wonderful reality in this too, isn't there? We see there in verse 19, Mary, Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. If we've got this earthly chorus of the shepherds as the first great evangelists of this king who has come, we also have, if you like, the first theologian of Christ amongst us, and that's his own mother. What is she doing? She is keeping all that she hears, and she turns it over in her heart. Does that mean she always gets it right? No, she doesn't always get it right. We see mistakes that she makes in the narrative then most theologians I know never, never quite get everything right either. But that's what she's doing, isn't she? She's pondering. Just as in her womb she enclosed the living Lord, so now she takes the word of the living Lord and she keeps that within her mind and her heart and she turns it over. She ponders over it. There are wonderful roles given to women in all the Gospels, aren't there? This is a mighty one. Mary, the one who ponders the meaning and the depths of all that has happened. She keeps it in her heart. And I think there could, we cannot know fully all that she pondered, but perhaps there are three things which I want to talk about just briefly. Three things that Mary may well have pondered on and that we should ponder on as well as we think of this story. The first of those is the great importance of humility. Humility. Why is there such almighty heavenly praise? Because of the small baby who cannot even, whose parents cannot even find a room who's just been born. That's what heaven is interested in. Heaven is not interested in your scale of value. Heaven is not interested in the scale of value that we find in the world around us. Heaven has no concern for such things. Heaven looks on the baby here. And that's what the angels delight in. The one who is born in poverty with nothing, taking upon himself all the sufferings and the struggles that we all face. I constantly come back to this over and over again. The one true sovereign of all, the Lord God himself, never takes his authority and power as something for personal advantage but gives of himself. Isn't that incredible? That's what a rebuke to every abusive, power-hungry leader or boss or minister or any other. The one with true power. What does he love? 
He loves humility. And that is how God comes amongst us in humility. He made himself nothing, taking upon himself the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even the death on a cross, as we read in Philippians. Isn't that wonderful news for us? Because so often we think of ourselves as having nothing in ourselves. And many of us feel broken by this world, don't we? And many of us feel weighed down by our sins and about our lack of worth. But see here, what does God prize? And what does he show he prizes in the manger? Humility. There is no one so low that the incarnation doesn't stoop down to. That's what we sang, wasn't it? Thou was rich beyond all splendor, all for love's sake became poor. Isn't that wonderful? For love's sake. He stoops to the lowest of us to raise us up to the highest. That's wonderful news. But if you think you are strong, if you think you have power and wealth and riches, and we do too, don't we? We're not the poorest people in the world. We're not the most disconnected people in the world. We have stuff. We have influence. We like to think of our minds as capable and able. This is still good news, isn't it? Isn't it wonderful to know that this is the way God is going to deal with you nevertheless? Isn't it wonderful that right at the very heart of the gospel, God is is telling the powerful as well as the weak, the strong as well as as those who have no strength, He's telling all of us, come with empty hands. Know right from the outside, it is not by your strength, not by your wisdom, not by your goodness, not by your connections, not by your bank accounts, not by your media savviness that you will obtain the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is given to the little children. And be a little child before God. And humility shows itself in faith. Faith that comes to God with an empty hand simply to take from him all his goodness and all his mercy. And that is the faith that we are to have. Humility. But then secondly, another thing that Mary could have pondered on was this great message of joy that we see in this passage too, don't we? Do not be afraid, in verse 10, the angel says, Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. Now, joy at Christmas time sometimes just gets reduced to one of those nothing words that you see on Christmas cards or on banners outside churches, joy, peace, love, family, whatever. And sometimes we are guilty, aren't we, of demoting joy, of making joy small. Marie Kondo tells us where to keep things that give us a spark of joy. Is that all you want, just a spark of joy? Before you, to save something from being thrown into the dumpster or given to the op shop? Is that what joy is all about? Just a bit of spark to get you going? 
We say that to each other, don't we? You know, in a tough day in the workplace, you want to hear some good news and your workmate or your manager says, give me some joy. Is that what joy is? Just a bit of a fillip to get you through the day? Getting a like on your Facebook post? Just a bit of joy. Is that what God means by joy? Is that what the scriptures mean by joy? No, we are to see that this is not some sentimental Christmas card. This is joy delivered by the most terrifying messenger you could imagine, an angel of the heavenly hosts, surrounded by the glory of the Lord himself. He's coming to say, I bring you news of great joy. We need to take this seriously. It's not just happiness and feeling happy. It's not just pleasure. No, I think joy, if we had to understand the scriptures rightly, joy is a happiness that embraces that which is most true and most good. It is a happiness centered in things outside of ourselves, in the sure and certain provision of God Himself, in God. Joy is found in God. Joy in that sense is not merely happiness. It's happiness that touches eternity. That's joy. It cannot be exhausted. You cannot run through to the end of it. And it will establish you even when momentary happiness flees away. And when sorrow comes, even depression comes, even despair may come. But joy, these good tidings of great joy, it's founded from heaven, even as it's focused in the provision of this Savior. And you see, in a sense, the the narrative is pointing us to think about joy as centered in that which is ultimate, isn't it? You think about it, even in the passage, it, it starts with the whole Roman Empire, the decree from the emperor. It starts with the whole Roman Empire as its focus. It comes into the whole people of Israel. And then it's, it centers in even further. Heaven is joining this earthly realm in pronouncing this joy. You cannot go any higher than that. And what is the focus of it all? The one who is the son of David, the king. He's not simply a baby. baby. He is the saviour. He is the Lord, and that's a divine title. He is the divine saviour. You cannot look further than this one for joy, you understand. You know, that's the problem with ordinary happiness, isn't it? You're always using that happiness. You grab onto it whenever you find happiness, don't you? You grab onto it and you're hoping somehow that it will go further and deeper and broader and that it will last just that little bit longer. We're built with that desire, aren't we? And what I'm saying to you here is when an angel from heaven tells you, here is joy, This is good news. The Saviour has come. You can go no further. What's that wonderful line, O little town of Bethlehem? The hopes and fears of all the years are met in you tonight. The hopes 
as well as the fears of all the years are met in you tonight. I think one of this produces many fruits, and this is one particular fruit that I really press on you is Christian contentment is born from Christian joy. Contentment. It's a fleeting thing, isn't it? It's a rare thing. It's a rare thing, isn't it, in this world? Contentment. Contentment. We're constantly filling that great void, aren't we? Bringing into ourselves a constant desire for money and for information and for news and for the next thing that will whet our appetites. We cannot live without our phones and we cannot live without our homes. We cannot live without all the provision that this world offers. And it's never enough, isn't it? It's constantly being thrown into this yawning abyss which is our self-centered discontent and it can never be filled up to the top. We need to look beyond ourselves and beyond what we have, beyond what we desire to have, the highs and lows of life, we need to look to that joy which will feed us for eternity. But there's something else here too. There's something else here too that Mary would have pondered on and that is this great anthem of peace. That's what the angels sang, wasn't it? Peace. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Now notice here, when we once again, this is no cathedral choir here. The word in the Greek is this is the host. This is an army. This is a military anthem sung with vigour and strength. And if we want to think about angels for a moment, Luther, Martin Luther, the great reformer, has a wonderful comment on this. He says, If you want to think of a humble, pure, obedient and joyful heart praising God, think of the angels. Utterly humble, not looking to themselves, utterly pure, abstaining from all evil, obedient, Your will, not ours. Joyful. In you is all blessing. That's the angels. But it's terrifying, isn't it, when you think of us. In our situation here, we think of, imagine a a countless heavenly host, all of that attitude. It's overwhelming, isn't it? It's terrifying to think of. And yet altogether beautiful and holy. That's the chorus of the angels. And they come with the message of peace from heaven and goodwill from heaven, from God. This is not just nice sort of Muzak peace, the sort of peace on earth you might hear wafting over the temples of consumer anxiety and desire in our shopping centres. This is peace from heaven, sung by an army, declared in the name of God. This is an insistent peace. This is an invasive peace. This is peace coming down on earth and it will not be stopped because it comes from God himself. It's the peace of a conqueror. And that's what this baby will be, a conqueror. And he'll conquer you 
as you put your trust in him. There's a bit of debate over the second line of this anthem, goodwill toward man. It's probably better to think of it as those on whom God's goodwill rests. But the same idea of goodwill, not coming from us, but from God, is there, isn't it? This is a goodwill that will not be stopped, that must be listened to. It's the favour of a holy God come to make peace with you. And that's what Mary is meditating on too. And that peace is coming into the realm of war. Just as light comes to the darkness, so peace is established amid strife, amidst conflict. God comes to make his peace because we are at war with him by nature. Yes, we have wars in this world as we see terribly over this past year. But those wars are but symptoms of the great war, the greatest war. And it's going on inside every single one of our hearts by nature. Just as it goes on in this world, as it organises itself and raises its fist to shake in the face of God. We need this peace. This is not an optional extra. This is the Lord of all things coming to say, in this baby, in this one born in Bethlehem, I will establish peace on the earth. Will you have that peace? That peace will come in dreadful humility, won't it? As the Apostle Paul says, he established that peace through the cross. And Mary, as she pondered these things, was told that a sword would go through her own heart as she would see her son in ultimate shame and sacrifice on the cross. But he won peace for us and he won peace for you. And I trust and pray amidst all the glories and wonders and joys and family celebrations of this Christmas time that you would know that peace that comes from him alone as you put your trust in him, that you may know joy everlasting even as you see yourself humbled before our great and merciful God. Or may God bless us at this Christmas time. Let's pray. Merciful God, gracious Father, we thank you for all your blessings to us and we thank you for this Christmas message that the angels brought the shepherds and may we rejoice in it. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.